Hey y'all, uh, interviewed Brian Childers, who is a technical advisor and fractional CTO. And that's the chief technology officer. Fractional, meaning that they're there part-time. And it's sort of like a contract type basis. But Brian's interview, he's very knowledgeable what he does, software development, and been doing it for plenty of years. I think it's like 15 plus years experience. So check out the interview. And if you want to, you can go and hit up his website if you have any questions about... Um, Hiring him for speaking engagements, things of that nature. It's uh, co. Enjoy the interview. Technology and all those terminologies is not my forte. <laughs> not a problem. Not a problem. <laughs> Radio show, man. They everywhere. Hi, y'all. We're in for another episode of Bake That Radio Show. I am your host, Andreas, and we have another guest coming via Zoom. And for everyone out there who will be uh, listening to the podcast as well, you can always go back and check the visual out on Facebook, YouTube, and any other platform that I put it on where you can see visually. Uh, but we have Mr. Brian Childress, who is a fractional CTO. And Brian, I just want to let you know, full disclosure, <laughs> technology and all those terminologies is not my forte. <laughs> not a problem. Not a problem. <laughs> so I, I did want to get into, like, you know, I was sitting there researching a little bit. Uh, can you explain to me a little bit what's the difference between a fractional CTO and a regular? Uh, uh, that's the chief technology officer, correct? That is correct. Yep. And, so okay. a... Uh, so a fractional CTO uh, brings the same level of experience, expertise, connections in the mm -hmm. industry uh, to an organization just for a, a fraction of time. So a part time. So the key differentiator here is that you have you're bringing in that same level of expertise, but mm -hmm. it's at a lower cost point because you don't have someone there necessarily full time. And for a lot of organizations, that makes a lot more sense because mm -hmm. they really don't have a need for someone to be you know, full time hands on in that CTO role. So this really works well for smaller organizations, startups, um, places that may not have technology as you know the, a core tenant mm -hmm. of their growing organization. And they mm -hmm. just they need somebody to kind of steer the ship in the right direction. So they want mm -hmm. the expertise, but maybe not the the same cost. No, I, I definitely understand that. Um, I was sitting there looking at different stats um, for a business and ran across a Forbes uh, database. There was a, a graphic that was put together where it said like, there's 27 million uh, uh, small businesses and it was like just the only. And then the ones that had like one to maybe 10 employees was a smaller fraction. And then the ones that had over like 10 employees is even smaller. So can I, I can imagine, you know, that fits well with, I guess, the person of your expertise and stuff. And does it also, um, is it like, does it keep it interesting for you as well? Because you get to bounce from like, you know, one thing to the next. It For me, it really does. Uh, I get to work with a number of different projects, industries, teams. Uh, and for me, you know, I'm really good at solving problems, just kind of mm -hmm. based on a little bit of context, I can really bring a, a solid uh, solution to the table. 
And mm -hmm. it allows me to continue to do that across a number of different teams. Uh, and I tend to focus across different verticals or industries. So that mm -hmm. keeps it interesting as well, because I get to learn healthcare and education mm -hmm. and finance and taxes. And um, mm -hmm. so there's a, a constant uh, opportunity to learn. Have you uh, ran across an organization where it's based in, I guess, um, physical goods and products and selling and they needed, you know, somebody with your expertise to help them on technology sales, like scale that or to fix issues that came abroad? Uh, I've done some projects in the past, uh, specifically around logistics, uh, you know, snack foods. I got to learn mm -hmm. that industry a little bit and how does... You know, what does it take to get snack foods to the our local 7-Eleven, for instance? Um, mm. But no, I tend to focus more on uh, software solutions. So typically business to business software, mm. uh, it's either, you know, maybe a, a SaaS platform, a software as a service, or mm. something that a company is using internally for their own needs. So I was going through reading your profile and like, I love the fact that, first of all, I've been enjoying this uh, pod match. And I love the fact that guests gets to put like questions and stuff like that because it really helps when it comes to the research. And I thought a few a few things uh, stuck out, you know, questions that you're ready to answer, right? All so right. one, um, let's go with you know AI is this new thing that you know it's just a lot of people are uh, you know for it, some people are against it. I guess you know people are not knowing how to use it. I was talking to another business friend of mine the other day and she was showing me where she used the app and she was writing uh, scripts for her business to bring people in for, she does like body contouring and things of that nature. And then just wrote this magnificent uh, script that I thought was pretty good. So how do you see AI, AI changing, you know, like the startup landscape in the next five years? I think it's going to be incredible. I don't know if we can even fathom the level of change, uh, the pace of innovation that's going mm -hmm. to be empowered just by AI and, and the availability that we have to it. Uh, I think it's it's really, really an interesting space. You know, we've heard it compared to the advent of the internet or mobile devices. And I think it's going to have a similar maybe slightly even higher level of impact on how we work and live uh, in our daily lives. You know, I think there's certainly concerns around just the sheer power uh, that AI can bring. Uh, mm -hmm. But if, if we look at the positive, I think there's a lot of ways that we can leverage AI in our day-to-day -day work to just increase the amount that we're able to produce, the quality that we're able to produce, and the amount of impact that we can positively have on our customers and, you know, even our own day-to-day uh, -day life. Do you see where AI is not applicable in any particular industries or do you think AI can go across all industries? I think it can go across all industries. Uh, some, you know, may need to kind of shift the way they operate. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's a train that's not going to slow down. Uh, it's certainly going to impact an industry in, in every uh, in every industry, I think. Okay. So in working with, uh, you work with a lot of, uh, startups. So are these like, uh, traditional startups where, you know, very low capital, um, they're bootstrapping their business or are these startups where, you know, it's some type of funding being raised, um, you know, like, I don't know, 500,000 and above. 
A bit of a mix. Uh, typically, a lot of the startups um, that I'm working with have raised some amount of capital. So typically, mm -hmm. maybe a, an angel or a pre-seed mm -hmm. round, uh, usually somewhere in the you know, 500000 to a couple million dollars they've got in capital available. Uh, mm -hmm. But it, it can certainly vary. Uh, most of the companies that I work with may not be towards that, uh, you know, large venture capital type funding round. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've, I've been an employee in some of those organizations, um, mm -hmm. but no, most of the, the clients that I work with are going to be typically kind of pre-seed um, on up. And uh, notice that you said uh, that you work with a lot of non-technical founders, right? So with doing that, how are you able to bridge the gap that's there? Because like somebody for myself, you know, I'm I'm not technical in that aspect. Now I do understand, you know, having a CTO and all that and being able to use that to help scale. But like, how do you really bridge that gap and get them to understand, you know, because sometimes people who are non-technical and just business, they just stick with what they know and that's their comfort level. Are you able to bridge that gap and, you know, show them the value of what you bring it? I think for me, my job is to understand the business. You know, I, I understand technology at very, very deep levels, but my role in helping you know a startup or a, a founder is to really understand the business and everything that I do and the ways that I think about you know short-term and long-term technology strategy always ties back to the business. So I kind of use that business as the shared knowledge and understanding. And then I can, you know, layer on clever analogies to help someone that may not have the same technical background understand some of the things that we're talking about or the ways that uh, the decisions we're going to make, what impact that's going to have on the business. Uh, and that may be an area that I kind of differentiate myself mm -hmm. from a lot of other technologists. Like I, I love technology, right? I, I eat, mm -hmm. sleep and breathe it. Um, but I understand that that's only a tool that we use to solve business problems. So I have to make sure that I'm always focusing on providing good value to the business. And you know, so that tends to be where I, I really focus in on. Um, and then, you know, if I'm talking to someone who is technical or is interested in technology, you know, then we mm -hmm. can nerd out on on the deep. Uh, <laughs> technical do you speech. get that? Uh, do you get that happen? Does that happen out for you or enough for you? So where you it, meet it does. It you does. Speak, you know, send the lingo and the language. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it does. Um, you know, I'll run across people that used to being coders. They used mm -hmm. to be programmers, and then you know maybe they moved into management or just into a, a, a totally different job family. Um, mm -hmm. But they still have that excitement about solving those problems and building things. It's it's just mm -hmm. a very interesting space. So I was sitting there uh, listening to, like I said, a couple of the interviews you've done and. Uh, kept hearing, you know what I'm saying, solution-based uh, type of uh, approach, right? Um, you're defining the problem and then you're building a solution. So just in like, you know, generalities, when someone brings you a board to help with the problem that they have, um, what's a typical time frame that you would spend with them? Is it like a few months? Is it like six months? Could it be a year? I've got to give you the it depends answer. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it really can depend on what it is you know they're looking to solve. So most of my engagements are a, a few months, uh, upwards of you know maybe a couple of years. 
Uh, so it really does depend on the business, their goals, and their specific needs. Um, if it's a very technology-focused business and mm -hmm. they're looking to grow and bring on technologists, uh, you know, more developers, my goal is to actually work myself out of a job in that organization. Mm -hmm. It's to get the team in a great place with processes and documentation and best practices so that mm -hmm. then I can help to hire my replacement, right? It, mm -hmm. And usually that may be a, a full-time CTO or a VP of engineering or something along those lines. Other organizations may not have that same need. They just need somebody kind of at the helm on the technology side, but because mm -hmm. that's maybe not core uh, component of their business, they may not uh, need somebody in that full-time capacity. And that's where mm -hmm. they're able to bring someone in with you know a high level of expertise, but again at a, a lower cost. Uh, so it, it really does depend, and it depends on the project as well. So imagine you know uh, your business model is that you're freelancing your services, correct? That's correct. Yeah. What made you want to actually do that as opposed to like you know just securing? Because you know with your vast knowledge now that I'm sure you could have secured whatever type of job that you wanted for an organization. So what made you want to go that route? Uh, I really like working across a number of different projects, technologies, teams. Um, mm -hmm. And I found in working you know, at an organization, you don't have that same level of variety. Um, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I really like being able to help a lot of different groups. And again, a, a lot of that kind of just satiates my own desire mm -hmm. to you know, be learning new things and new industries mm -hmm. and just getting in depth because I'm, I'm just... I think naturally a very curious person. And so that's kind of an mm -hmm. opportunity for me to tap into that. So in, in doing that journey, how long have you been freelancing? So I think I've been freelancing probably 12 years. Uh, okay. You know, typically a lot of that's been moonlighting on the side of mm -hmm. a, you know, full-time jobs. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, I would, I've been moonlighting either full-time or part-time for, for quite a while. So when you first started, um, did you get the, uh, I guess, the response that you wanted or, you know, was there anything that, you know, you learned along the way that you necessarily didn't, you know, know before you started? I've learned a lot of things. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I, I learned more today than I did, you know, in those early years. Um, what I've come to really understand is that technology is the easiest part of what we do. Right. And, mm -hmm. and that's easy for me to say as a technologist, but technology is largely it's fairly prescriptive. There's a, you know, a several ways that we can solve a problem. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I've got a lot of examples that I can kind of lean on. Right. I can look at other companies. I've got a lot of colleagues I can kind of ask questions of uh, the challenge. And I think many of us face this in our, our day to day work and lives is communicating with other humans and mm -hmm. understanding where someone's coming from, the challenges that they have, you know, the business and what mm -hmm. uh, problems it's trying to solve for its customers. That's the challenging piece. So that's really why I, I like to focus there when mm -hmm. I'm working with my clients uh, to mm -hmm. understand what is it that they're trying to do. And then technology just turns out to be a, a tool that we can potentially use. Uh, so once we understand the problem that we're solving, the, the rest becomes easier, you know, and of yeah. course that's in relative terms. So do you consider yourself an entrepreneur or? 
Uh, I I guess so. Um, I don't know. I've always uh, struggled with that term, but yeah, I uh, I do. I I, I like um, exploring new areas and kind of chasing that curiosity. And mm-hmm. you know, it, it turns out that people uh, pay me uh, for some of that. Too, so. <laughs> That's the fun part, huh? <laughs> yeah, just a added benefit, if you will. Yeah. So, um, you know, a lot of people, you know, they look overseas and things for like, you know, developers I have. Um, so I have the, you know, Baker Radio Show, which is my podcast platform, but it's more than just that. I have the website and I have an app. So I have a web developer um, mm-hmm. who's here in Macon where I'm located and he developed an app for me. We have it on like the um, Apple store in the Google store and I pay all these fees and all that stuff. And he writes all this code. So I'm somewhat familiar, you know, with the process because just in talking to him, you know, there's a lot of code written for apps. And I didn't realize that. Um, lines and lines and lines of code. But what I'm uh, getting at is one of the questions, you know, what I'm saying, ready to ask, what are the risks of with hiring an offshore developer? And I think sometimes as business people, we're looking at our finite amount of capital. And we're trying to apply it the best way. And a lot of people go off seas, offshore with that. I love the fact that I can have someone, I can pick up the phone and talk to him or go run to his office <laughs> to solve something. So in your uh, opinion, in a professional opinion, what are the risks of hiring you know, offshore developers? Yeah, I mean, it's a very, very common practice. And I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Uh, mm-hmm. There's... We just have to be a lot more cautious and whether it's the person down the street that you can go to their office or someone overseas, Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of things that we need to do uh, in both uh, scenarios. Really, the at the end of the day, for a business owner who's asking a freelancer or a development agency to build something for them, Mm -hmm. it's important for the business owner to understand what's being built, to see progress along the way. And most importantly, I think, is to maintain ownership through the entire process. Mm-hmm. And we see this a lot with you know, potentially non-technical founders and business owners who are saying, hey, I want an app. I want this thing built, um, but I, I don't know how to do it myself, so I'm going to go and hire someone. And what they do a lot of times, unfortunately, is they kind of relinquish all control over to that person, and they put mm-hmm. all of the trust and ultimately a lot of... Or, all of their business in the hands of that person. Uh, and if that person is overseas, then it's a hard, pretty much impossible, if something were to happen, to to regain control, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so that's, unfortunately, it, it keeps me fairly busy because I work with a lot of customers and clients uh, to help regain control of some of those processes. Uh, this can be the source code that's being written. Uh, it may be housed and uh, only accessible to whomever they hired, wherever they are in the world, uh, where their applications are hosted. Mm -hmm. They they can relinquish all of the control for that. All of the uh, intellectual property can be relinquished. You know, so there's a lot of protections that we kind of have to put in place as a business owner to make sure that, you know, our business can ultimately continue to operate. Mm-hmm. If we continue to work with that freelancer or the development agency or not. Um, and so there's a lot that we kind of have to be aware of before we start actually writing code. And again, like mm-hmm. writing code is one of the last things that we kind of do. 
mm-hmm. um, if if I have my preferences. So. Uh, I get the sense that you're um, the type of individual when you're working on a job that you include ethics in that decision making. Um, and what I mean by that is like what you just described, where like say if someone were to give you all of this trust with their business and you're doing an app for them, you would set up parameters where you would inform them like, hey, yes, I understand what you're doing, but this is what you need to know and this is how you need to log in and stuff like that instead of them just like, you know, giving you the keys to the uh, kingdom. Is, is that a correct assessment? Absolutely. Yeah. So that's a lot of what I do is making sure that I hold on to the keys and then I just kind of figure out which doors you're able to uh, to access as the uh, the developer or the the development agency. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I love the fact that you put these two questions on here. Uh, the one is what held your career back? And the other one is what has helped you succeed in your career? Um, let's get into that. So what do you feel held your career back? Um, if it's all right with you, I kind of want to give the same answer for both of those questions. Oh, that's fine. Um, so it, it, imposter syndrome, I think, has held mm-hmm. me back quite a bit. Um, so I... You know, I wasn't the kid that was programming on the family computer when I was eight years old. It just that wasn't me. I didn't get into technology and computers until I was in graduate school. And that's where okay. I really, really dove in and uh, found a, a lot of excitement uh, around technology and software engineering. Uh, and so I think coming into the industry, not having that same background that a lot of my peers did, uh, gave me a lot of imposter syndrome. And I think that uh, I I held myself back in my career because of that. Um, and when I recognized that, kind of to your, your second question there, I decided to to push through that. You know, I understood that, you know, there was some discomfort there, but I decided to push through that. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the ways that I've done that is to um, not only address my just kind of imposter syndrome around being in, in software engineering, but you know, maybe not having the same background as uh, others. And then also my, you know, kind of fear of things like public speaking. And so mm-hmm. I decided to push through that fear and pursue uh, speaking at conferences and meetups mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. Uh, and I just kind of said, well, the heck with it and went and submitted some proposals and got accepted to speak at some conferences and kind of pushed through that discomfort. Mm-hmm. And from that, I've I think it's one of the the most exciting things in my career is what's uh, happened on the other side of that discomfort. Um, mm-hmm. I've had the opportunity to travel uh, nationally and internationally, even mm-hmm. with my family to go speak at conferences and meet folks. Um, I've uh, been issued uh, a couple U.S. patents for some software designs. Okay. Um, I've been able to to speak with folks like you on podcasts mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, webinars and that sort of thing. And so that's really propelled me forward. But I had to face and then kind of push through that discomfort mm-hmm. of, you know, ultimately it, it, imposter syndrome or just, you know, lack of confidence yeah. in some areas. So, so have you uh, experienced where you've inspired others to do the same and to follow, you know what I'm saying, like their dreams and hopes? Has that information like came back to you or anyone come up to you like, hey, I've seen your journey or I know about your journey because I'm inside of your network. You really inspired me to go out and face my fears. 
Uh, yeah, I think there's quite a few folks that have kind of come up and given a, a message along those lines to me. And and for me, that's that's why I, I love doing what I do. Uh, it's why I really try and pursue opportunities to mentor you know other developers or uh, mm. startup founders or anything along those lines is a way mm. to kind of show you know, hey, I was dealing with these things. This is what I did. These are the the things that I felt and the thoughts that I had during that period of time. And then mm -hmm. this is what kind of came out of, of that uh, process. And just being able to share some of that mm -hmm. journey has, uh, has helped folks. So um, you're in, you know, developers space, you know, technology and all that. Do you see, like, in your area or within the United States, um, are people going into those areas even more, or has the interest in those areas dwindled down? Uh, I think the interest is continuing to to spike. Uh, maybe there's a little bit of tapering off, uh, but things like coding boot camps, you know, we saw mm -hmm. a huge uptick in those, you know, maybe eight or 10 years ago. Uh, mm -hmm. We're continuing to see some where folks are coming from another career field. They're going into an intensive training program and then hoping to come out as a, a junior developer and then kind of work their way through the ranks. Mm -hmm. I think we're continuing to see that, especially as companies are removing requirements of having things like a four-year college degree in mm -hmm. computer science to be able to get into the field. So I think there's mm -hmm. still a lot of opportunity there. Um, I mean, it, it depends on which statistic you read, but there's still mm -hmm. going to be a continued demand, even with uh, AI in uh, mm -hmm. all of its power. We're still going to need strong software engineers. And I mm -hmm. think where I see the biggest gap now in the industry is we need senior engineers, those folks that have mm -hmm. 10 or more years of industry experience coming in and, and working in organizations. I think that's where I see the biggest gap. We have a lot mm -hmm. of folks coming in that have a, a few years of experience, mm -hmm. um, but we're not, we don't have as many um, with those uh, 10 plus years of experience. So do you think it is the, is it the industries that are like pushing them out or burning them out or not seeing the value in what they bring? That's why people don't hit that 10 year mark or what do you, what do you think reason for the gap? Uh, all of the above. Uh, I think there's, right. there's quite a few reasons. Um, you know, once you hit kind of certain levels within software engineering, depending on the company, there may not mm -hmm. be a lot more growth for you. And so mm -hmm. a lot of folks will go from an individual contributor role into management and kind of get mm -hmm. away from the code and then continue to climb, uh, through the ranks on a, a management track. And for some that works well for others, it, it feels like they're forced into it because they don't have a lot of growth opportunity on the individual contributor track. Now mm -hmm. we are seeing a, a shift in the industry where there are more levels, uh, that folks can aspire to, uh, as mm -hmm. individual contributors. And I do think that that will help keep folks in the industry. Um, but yeah, I mean, burnout is a real thing. Because uh, mm -hmm. it's an industry, we're constantly learning, right? It's mm -hmm. it moves so quickly, and in order for us to kind of keep pace with the demands of the business and mm -hmm. keep ourselves uh, employable, and mm -hmm. you know, we have to continually retool uh, much, much more often than some other industries do. 
Um, I look at that and I like ask a physiological <laughs> question. Um, is it really necessary to advance uh, with technology? Is it you know as as quick as it's going? Because it based to other industries, you know, some industries are like just great at having like these milestone markers, like. Every 10 years, there's something new that shakes up the industry and pushes it forward. But it seems like technology keeps moving in the evolution of it. It's going rapidly fast. Is it really necessary, do you think? Or uh, I think some of it, yes. Uh, you know, it's it continues to blow me away the amount of work that I can do from my cell phone from anywhere in the world. I, you know, just the the ability to do things, just take care of life. And I think those demands uh, or expectations, uh, more and more people are just kind of glomming onto. And so in order to support that, technology continues to need to progress. And so, you know, I think to a, a large degree, it's it's just kind of how, you know, where the, the world is and how we're continuing to grow. Mm -hmm. uh, from an industry perspective, I think there are, it, it is very cyclical, right? And I've... Mm -hmm. I've been fortunate to have been around long enough that I'm seeing, you know, those cycles kind of come back around and the things that we did in the fifties uh, we did again in the sixties, they just had a different name, maybe mm -hmm. happened a little bit faster. Uh, and we're continuing to see a lot of those same cycles and patterns happening. Uh, it's just, it's a lot quicker that it happens mm -hmm. these days. So. Okay. Um, here. Where is the oh okay so a medium sized small business that you know has the capital and the need to hire a freelancer a consultant or an agency which one uh should they go with in your opinion or what should they consider when hiring picking between uh I recommend hiring a a technical advisor or an expert first. Okay. That's someone that can come in, will understand the business, what it is that they're trying to do, and then can make uh, recommendations based on that. Uh, if we, and I, I'm going to paint with a very broad brush, but this is mm -hmm. typically how I see that play out. If someone in a, a business that has capital and is looking to build software just says, hey, I want to go and hire a development agency, right? We we need to build something, so let's start building. Let's just mm -hmm. hit the ground running. The way that typically plays out is the development agency is eager to have that work. So they're going to uh, say, yeah, we can do everything and we need to build all of these custom things. And uh, it's going to take a, a lot of money and a long time, And but this is what you need. Because for the development agency, their goal is billable hours and to make money. Mm -hmm. Their goal isn't necessarily always to serve your business and making sure that you're solving the right problems in the right way. So mm -hmm. that's why I'll, I like to uh, recommend bringing in just a technical advisor whose goal is to understand the business and come up with a technology strategy and then can potentially make recommendations or help you in reviewing a freelancer or a development agency to hire. Because mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, a lot of times what we see is if we hire a development agency, they're gonna build a big custom solution 
where mm -hmm. ultimately what we needed to solve the problem was a very, very simple solution. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's free. Sometimes it didn't require any development resources at all. But mm -hmm. because we we went to the person that only builds, then that's what we're going to get is something that's built. Uh, mm -hmm. And that's that's where we see a lot of frustration from business owners who have gone down that route. Uh, mm -hmm. and, I definitely understand that. And uh, like you said, if you're trying to, you know, build whatever, and that's what they're accustomed to doing. So, of course, they would build, and that's how they present the solution to them. <laughs> it seems like, you know, I, I tell people all the time when you're doing a magnitude, a certain magnitude of business and volume, then all your decisions have to be more strategic and thought out. Mm -hmm. um, you can't, like, make all these emotional-based decisions. You can't just, just because you have a problem, you can't just throw something at it just to say that, you know what I'm saying, tried to solve the problem. Rather, you know what I'm saying, you solve the problem the right way and, you know, go through the process. Like you said, bring in a technology advisor and they can do an assessment within two weeks or whatever the case may be, give you recommendations and then bring them back on to help even go through that process. Um, so I, I like the, one of your, um, your ideas for the episode titles the main focus of like, you know, simple software always wins. Um, what, can you like put that into uh, perspective for us as far as what would be like a simple software and it would be solving, you know what I'm saying, the solution instead of someone thinking that a complex software would need to be applied? Uh, I, I mean, I think the most common examples that come to mind, uh, we need to collect some sort of data from either an internal you know, department and be able to transfer that to another department. It's likely we already have some of those tools already in our ecosystem. So let's mm -hmm. say we have Google Workspace in our organization and we have access to Google Sheets and Google Forms. Mm -hmm. Those tools can do a lot for us in simple mm -hmm. data collection and transmitting that information. Typically mm -hmm. that, you know, because it's a, a small internal use case, we don't have a need for custom software to be built or to bring in a super robust uh, software as a service platform. Mm -hmm. We can do it with the tools that we have. Um, so a, a lot of times I think there's just opportunity to say, okay, what is the problem? You know, and then we start to look at the solutions uh, for technologists, you know, and myself included, right? This is a big reason that I've continued to stay in the industry is I'd like to explore new things and play with new shiny tools mm -hmm. uh, and build, right? I just mm -hmm. like to create things. And that's the same for, for many of my colleagues. The challenge there is that if we only take a building mentality, then, mm -hmm. you know, what's the saying that if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Mm -hmm. uh, that's when we just get into that pattern and, you know, when we start to look at what we're building and how we're solving the problem versus say like a Google or a Netflix, right? They're, mm -hmm. they're solving really interesting problems in very interesting ways. They also mm -hmm. have a ton more customers and a, a ton more, mm -hmm. you know, just different challenges that, you know, our small internal team doesn't have, mm -hmm. but we see a lot of very complex software come out of that as a byproduct because as technologists, we're excited to explore some of those things. And we just happen to be using our, you know, our organization's 
um, mm-hmm. budget and time to to mm-hmm. build out and play with some of those things. So um, I, I always focus on what is the simplest solution because mm-hmm. technology and software, it's going to become complex on its own. Just that's the nature of it. So let's not make it overly complex to start. It's kind of where that comes from. I love it. Um, so you say you've done speaking engagements and things of that nature. Do you have anything else planned for the rest of the year or do you reset in, um, this time of year and start, you know, focus on new goals for the future for next year? Uh, so I've got at least uh, one uh, in-person conference this year scheduled out, uh, a number of different uh, podcasts and webinars scheduled out. So I have quite a bit more this year. Uh, I am hoping to kind of taper down in the last couple months of the year, just kind of do a bit of a reset, kind of uh, take my breath. It's It's been a, a very busy uh, and exciting year, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking to do that. Uh, I review my goals at least quarterly. I've got a, a tight knit mastermind group that I work with and we go through and review our goals and kind of hold each other accountable. So I mm-hmm. found that to be really helpful. Uh, and, and part of one of my goals is to kind of slow down a little bit, but quality of life. That's, that's all I, I tell people is quality of life, not quantity. <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> I love high quality of life. Well, Brian, I really do appreciate your time. Uh, is there anything else? You know, is there anything that we didn't get to touch on that you want to touch on? I, I don't think so. You asked some really, really good questions. So I appreciate the opportunity. Well, you know, you provided some good info. So, you know, as a person who's not a technologist, you know, I definitely appreciate it. But, you know, you're helping me, you know, with that space. And like I said, I've had some experience with dealing with other people. But I can definitely tell you're passionate about what you're doing. And uh, I look forward to like, you know, following up, you know, later on and seeing what you've been able to do and seeing if you get any more patents. I'm like, that's exciting that you've been able to apply and get those. So congratulations on that. No, thank you. I appreciate it. Radio Show, man, they everywhere.